Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordics region to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Josh Asquith, and I help businesses to connect with top tech freelance talent. Today, I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Theodore, Xiaoming, and Yesio. Today, and we are discussing as a panel the psychology of data insights. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to go around the room in just a moment and get everybody's introductions. And then we have some questions to to answer together. So, um, Theodore, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Theodore. I am uh, an experienced digital analyst uh, slash conversion optimization. Uh, I've been working in a wide range of uh, areas, uh, such as uh, user research, price comparison, also a lottery in there. And now lately, I've been doing some streaming optimization, uh, so in within the streaming business. Awesome. Thank you. Yes, you? Sure. Hi, I'm Yasir. I will work uh, digital analytics and customer inside over eight years in retail, consumer electronics, advertising, and finance industry. I'm currently working at IKEA Retail within Global Digital Group. I'm mainly responsible for sharing customer insight between digital and physical channel, but also helping some data literacy for IKEA co-worker. Uh, before IKEA, my background was more like data analytics and digital strategy within marketing and brand domain. Uh, especially when I was working for Samsung in Middle East and North Africa region. And uh, apart from my work, uh, I'm from South Korea, uh, but living in Sweden like a bit more than two years. And uh, I love traveling and yoga, uh, indoor rock climbing. Amazing. Thank you. And Xiaoming. Thanks for having me, Josh. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Xiaoming Ma. Uh, a product analyst and analytics manager at Klarna. So I'm also very excited to be here. Um, my role involves um, leveraging data and analytics use to provide uh, data-driven and uh, insights and proposals to our product managers. Uh, as well as uh, we have a lot of collaboration with our um, other competencies like engineers and the marketing people. So with the goal that's of improving our customer journey, by optimizing our product, which is the purchase uh, purchase funnel or purchase journey. So currently, I'm part of a team that focuses on 40 markets across Europe, uh, Asia Pacific, and America. Before joining Klarna, I gained my experience in customer and finance analysis while working at a, a mutual fund company and a global bank. Uh, Profile my work, I love to cook. I uh, both from Western and Eastern cuisines. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. 
please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Awesome. Thank you very much. Now that we've got to know you all a little better, you've all brought some questions to discuss. So we're going to start with a question from Theodore. Theodore, would you please tell us your question around the psychology of insights? Please tell us where your question came from and what your question is. Okay, so I think the topic is topic is quite wide in general, uh, but um, there's been when I look back in my experience, I think there's there working with data. I think there has been a lot of uh, surprising insights that I've had. Uh, so, for example, uh, what is a user insight? Just to kind of nail it down a little bit more in detail, if you look. In a buy flow, you have a couple of steps. So, for example, if people drop in the second step, you see that data, but you don't know why. Uh, so then you need to kind of deep dive a little bit into the psychology or state of mind that the users have in that state, in that particular step in the buy flow. So that's how I define the psychology of insight. So my question to the group is what are the are some of the most surprising insights that you have had uh, in your experience so if i may start uh, from my example um from the streaming business it was uh, we used to talk to to um, a lot of analysts uh, and uh, i could see we could see that we had people joining the platform and they had, we saw a long tail of the first view. First view is like, what's the first show you see when you come to the platform? Usually what we do is like we market a few titles, uh, five or six or up to 10 maybe uh, in a particular time frame. But we could see that people kind of like start viewing something that was like really, really deep into the catalog. So uh, two people viewed this kind of series, which we didn't market at all. So that was a little bit surprising because how did they find that type of uh, content? Uh, because we don't market it. It's hard to access if you don't go into the platform and kind of find it. So it was a, a little bit of a mystery how that happens. And then we kind of made an A-B test in another case, which we uh, usually what we do is like we send the traffic to a landing page and then you kind of read about the product and you see what it is and then you, you kind of sign up. So what we did, we kind of bypassed the whole landing page and just sent them directly into the buy flow, uh, the first step in the buy flow. And that was really, really successful. And uh, it kind of like, we started asking the questions, why? How can you sign up when you don't have that much information? Just, you know, and that kind of uh, tied to the long tail thing and also the way people discover the content. So what we saw was that a lot of content discovery happens off platform. So in other channels and hours. Uh, for example, on social media, but also a lot of people talk to each other. So you could recommend something, uh, which means that then you know where it is. So you don't need to 
read a lot about the product or service. So you just want to see that and you just want to sign up. Um, and that kind of like surprised us all because it had such a big impact on both marketing and also how you structure the content while you're in the platform. Uh, so it was like a wide area of uh, touch points uh, with this insight that we just saw from the long tail to the testing to the you know marketing. So it's like a holistic, almost customer journey insight, uh, which affected a lot of people. So in essence, that that was uh, our you know a, a extremely surprising finding with. Um, with big implications. And I'm not sure if you guys have any, something, you know, something similar that you've encountered or so. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Uh, you mentioned about social media, and so I think that's something maybe I can share my experience from my past uh, the project. Because uh, I really didn't expect the insight uh, on the social media uh, in Middle East and North Africa region, uh, when I was uh, analyzing, uh, I, I got surprised uh, there are so high interested in K-pop sites and it's picking up since 2019. Um, from my marketing experience, I, I was already ex expecting uh, people will be more engaging with something local culture campaign or something relevant to the local, but I got so curious why it was uh, relevant to the K-pop uh, between the Middle East people. So, uh, but I also wasn't sure could there be actually impact to the uh, business or not. So I did more research. Uh, so I use uh, not only social media, the analytics, but I use some research data, other research data source and Google search trend and some other, uh, some social listening as well. So the, the finding was uh, actually there are some some similarity uh, between South Korea and Middle East, but also um, the during the pandemic there are high uh, the time spending on the social media, but also there are some um, uh, K-pop concert in Saudi, and that was quite unusual. So it went somehow with buyer 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 situation. So. I shared the insight because it was super unexpected and uh, I thought it would be good to try. And luckily, uh, my stakeholders, some influence manager, marketing manager, uh, they got interest, interested to try. And then we partnered with BTS. Uh, at the time, they are not that, uh, they are popular in my country, but they are not super popular like now. Uh, so luckily, uh, we had some communication, um, uh, our marketing channel and then uh, unexpectedly, uh, the BTS, uh, hit billboard chart number one, uh, after a few months. It was perfect timing. We're super lucky. And, uh, we did more, uh, locally adapt adaptation for the, the marketing campaign. Uh, it went pretty well, but, uh, it was interesting to identify some pattern, uh, which we haven't seen, but, uh, I think it's good to try. And if it doesn't work, then we can, you know, learn from the, uh, the test. But, uh, uh, what I would learn, uh, it was uh, really, uh, important to have some collaboration with other team, team member. Uh, but also we should, uh, make some quick action, uh, from, uh, the inside. 
Yeah, that's very, very interesting. Um, I think um, here I got also uh, one from my uh, work experience, but this might not be the most surprising insight. But I would say that's one of the most interesting insights. Uh, that is the uh, the correlation between uh, conversion rate and uh, ticket size for new customer. So first I would say, uh, I would not define conversion rates uh, as the payment provider uh, at Klarna. We would say conversion rates that when the customer engage with us and how many of the customers successfully place an order in the end. So we will use that to calculate, the, we call it the conversion rate. But there is a very interesting correlation between the conversion rate and ticket size for those new customers, new to Klarna customers, they have never used Klarna before. Um, that is by, um, because when we try to understand, okay, why the conversion rate goes up or goes down, that's why we aggregate uh, wheel. We need to break it down. We need to nail down to the uh, more granular insight. So by categorizing the ticket size into different amounts, for example, that's one approach, like for example, uh, 100, 100 to 500, 500 to 5,000, and those the rest orders above 5,000. For example, that's, that's a very rough segment, but that's an example. But we can observe that the correlation uh, between the uh, correlation rate and each segment is very interesting that rather than displaying a linear relationship, this correlation follows an inverted U shape or the quadratic pattern. So in initially, conversion rate increases with the increase in ticket size, but after reaching a peak point, it starts to uh, decline. So, so we, okay, so that's the what is one finding. So we still want to understand the root cause behind. So upon the further investigation, um, we discover that um, actually this pattern reviews kind of customer psychology. So for those new customers with low ticket size, um, they are more likely to drop off during the very initial stage of our purchase journey. So when we, uh, with the personal information such as phone number, uh, name and address, or date of birth is required for sign up. So that's where those customers usually dropped out. And this customer perceive that the purchase amount is too low that they want to share this personal information with an unfamiliar payment provider or invest time uh, in completing multiple uh, sign-up steps. So one way to mitigate it is that we collaborate or partner with our merchant to preview some customer information for our sign-up. Because when you go to the import, you usually also need to fill in your address, your name, like that. So we will preview part of those uh, customer information to streamline the process and saving the customer time. And that is very useful. And for the customer, if you remember for those uh, CR goes down after the certain peak, for those categories with our high ticket side, most job offs occurred at a late stage of our uh, purchase journey. So when they are uh, asked to review their purchases and payment plans before placing order. But due to the you know, substantial value of the goods that they are about to purchase. So customers typically uh, prefer to take some time to rethink and reconsider. And as a responsible uh, payment provider, we cannot push any pressure on customer in this case 
look for any uh, impulsive spending. So just, okay, that's kind of organic churn if customer, yeah, dropped. So that's something I want to share with the uh, whole, yeah. Awesome. Those were some really, those were some really, really interesting examples. Um, and thank you very much for those guys. The, we have another question and that question is brought to us by Shaman. So Shaman, please would you explain to us how you reached your question and then tell us your question. Okay. So here's my question is, um, so how can we, um, effectively, uh, navigate and minimize impact? of the biases that raise from incomplete data because as uh, the company that we worked for, we use a double, we use a lot of data. We call our data driven business. But however, I think we need to face the incomplete information or data at different levels every day. So in those cases, um, how do we uh, assess or quantify the level of confidence that we have in the decision making uh, based on the available data at hand. Sometimes, of course, we can uh, uh, spend more time resources in collecting uh, additional data, such as through A-B testing. But however, this can be a costly approach in both uh, in terms of both time and economics sometimes. And, even in some circumstances, this may not be available for all scenarios. So in those cases, um, do we have some other, or do you have some other valid means or approaches to testify the idea apart from A-B test? Uh, yeah, I think I'm also facing similar challenge many times since I'm in this industry. Uh, so that's why I spend a lot of time to define clear goal and objective. So I will know which multiple data source, out of multiple data source, which data source will be the best option to use uh, with limited time and resource. Then once I know uh, what I want to use data source for analysis and I check data quality, of course, data quality is super important. If the data is too inconsistent or not so reliable, uh, then I don't make an insight. So this case, you need to speak with your stakeholder to, you know, manage the expectation. Then I will spend some time to improve the data quality. Uh, let's suppose the data is sufficient, sufficient to analyze and needs to making some initial, in, initial analysis. Then I speak again with my stakeholder, uh, to, uh, just double check uh, if my approaches make sense for them and if it will be useful, useful for their decision making. Or if they have a different view of customer, uh, uh, customer or I, because often when I'm speaking with my stakeholder, I got also, uh, good inspiration. Uh, they are more qualitative insight. It's not just number, but they also have a unique insight from their uh, domain knowledge and the expertise and or even their probably personal life, you know. So, so that's the how I think it's more efficient way, but although not all the time I will have like full budget or, you know, full resource, like no time limit. That's not like, that's not going to happen if you are employed. So, uh, so I think I'm trying to utilize uh, whatever I have some, uh, some source. Uh, so then I can iterate uh, 
the analysis for more following analysis. So I also like to collaborate with uh, data engineers so I can create the data set, but this is a, the case only, you know, uh, when you have more like time limit. So it really depends. Yeah, that's really, I think this question is really interesting. I think it's really, really hard. <laughs> and so if I, if I look a little bit back to my experience, so I've worked in small and large organizations. So the, the larger the organization, the more data you will produce, but the more harder it is to flow that data between departments. Uh, so uh, it's a little bit like you said, Yasul, it's, it's you kind of like, a lot of people know a lot of stuff, but maybe it's not being shared. So that kind of like hands-on, you know, on the floor knowledge is super important. And how to capture that is really hard. So that can kind of populate your data as an analyst if you see something, but you have no connection with that area. So it's like a little bit like hard to know how to interpret the data. So you need those kind of like specialists that do the hands-on work to do that. And then kind of like connect that because if you're working with sales, for example, and someone working with CRM, if you look at the customer journey, it might be connected, but individually it doesn't make sense uh, the data that you're looking at so i think like in in a sense it's a lot about how you structure the company how you structure departments and how you kind of like talk to each other uh, and how you kind of flow that data between the company and and um, you know different departments so it, it's I don't think there's a silver bullet for everyone. I think every case is different, but that's that's at least what I've seen from different companies that the, the how you use the data is very um, company-specific uh, depending on the maturity, but also if you want to populate this, it's really important that you talk to each other. So the more talk, the better it is. Yeah, this thanks so much, uh, Yasu and Celda. I think I totally agree with both of you. I mean, like you said, yes, I mean, so I think one way is to, apart from a test, one way is to approach their experts to talk to them because they have their domain knowledge and maybe some other people in some other domains. And so that, like you said, it's another thing is to how to connect different dots. And this is, I totally agree that as the, as the analyst, the business analyst, you not only and it should be uh, proficient in your analytic skills, but also you, the business knowledge and your domain knowledge and how to understand what behind the data is. Because I, 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 maybe it's as my personal point of view, I feel, I feel that I mean, data cannot tell all the truth. You need to dig into what behind or what has been hidden behind data. So you really, really need, uh, really, really, uh, you really need to uh, reach out to they are like the marketing people, like the engineer, what, how the front end or back end works and how would that impact data that you say? So I, I totally agree with the, yeah, with your opinions. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. And I have a, a question around this area that you guys have been discussing. So in the question, uh, the question alludes to how do we can minimize the impacts of making decisions or how do we make decisions when we don't have the right amount of data, I believe, if I didn't misinterpret the question. 
So if that is the case, at what point in the question that you're asking regarding to customers, if you don't have the data, can you say, well, this is the expected customer mindset behind this? And can that expectation of a customer's psychology fill in the gaps for the amount of data that you would need for certainty? Does that make sense? Theodore? Yes, it's um, it's a tough one also. Um, so you need to kind of like make qualified judgments based on the data you have. And uh, as we spoke with the previous question, you kind of need the, that expertise in, in it. Uh, but there's a lot, I think, you you really need to listen to what your customers say. So, um, and I think the best sources are actually two. One is like your customer service source. If you have one of those, someone calls in and says something, they have a problem, whatever. So you need to kind of identify the problems that users have. The other one is, uh, as someone mentioned here, was the, the social media. There's a lot on social media that people talk about, but they don't, you know, contact the company for that. So you kind of need to filter that and 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 um, find those key elements that uh, users have. Uh, you know, you don't you don't meet user expectation, or there's a problem somewhere, or so on. And I think the third one, which is a little bit, uh, a lot of companies work ad hoc with it, but I think it's you should work a little bit more on a regular basis uh, it's more than uh, like constantly doing uh, consumer testing so get people into a lab for example and just try your product all over all the time just to get that feedback loop so that should be built in into your process which some companies do and some companies but most companies don't so i think those maybe three areas are the most important ones i think there are others of course and Everyone works differently, but uh, that's at least from my experience. I totally agree with the other. I also use a lot survey data or also some evidence and social media. Maybe one thing I will add, uh, maybe also it was helpful to looking at online review. So it's the same thing again, because we want to listen customer voice. So it's, uh, I think, may not be so much different uh, from different industries. So it's uh, interesting to hear. I think, I think you both uh, just uh, speak a lot of what I thought. Let me just one comment on that is, I think another uh, approach that when we are facing like data scenarios, perhaps we can look at our competitors. We can do our competitor analysis. Um, to kind of as an example, when we decide whether we really want to roll out in the new markets, Actually, we don't have any customer data in that market. So, so what we can do, but we can look into our competitors. Do we have some other uh, competitors are uh, represent or presents in that market? And what do they do? And so that's one thing I think we can also, uh, maybe one of the, one efficient way, I mean, to see that how we're going to, uh, engage with our customers. Awesome. Thank you guys very much. And I think that conversation leads us quite nicely, quite nicely into our next question. Yes, you'll please tell us about your question. Sure. I'm curious uh, how you can 
um, close the gap between existing business strategy and customer expectation using instant customer feedback or reaction. Uh, because the reason why I'm asking uh, when I want to identify customer needs or pain point, often sometimes uh, it's really unexpected result, like uh, the theater's uh, question. So I found it was quite valuable uh, to use real-time customer feedback uh, or some data set. So, uh, but when I was using uh, more text analytics, uh, I use a lot of social media and online review, but my challenge was uh, these data sets are usually capturing uh, pre-purchase or the post-purchase. So if I want to understand entire the customer journey phase, and I, w- I wanted to identify which specific customer journey phase are, uh, we have to improve and what, what, what are the, the friction, uh, in the, the customer journey? So for me, it was a bit difficult to answer this question, uh, because, uh, like, especially during the post, uh, during the, the purchase, uh, purchasing phase, uh, the data sets are not really representing the whole, uh, customer's opinion. So I'm curious if, if you have a similar challenge. Um, if you do, then can you share with me some example? Maybe any A-B test, uh, research? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I think, uh, maybe based on my experience, I mean, firstly, uh, we really need to, uh, understand, uh, where the gap is or what the gap is. And what is your uh, ultimate goal to narrow this gap? Do you really want to improve your conversion rate or do you want to uh, improve or uh, increase the repurchase or do you want customer to shop more or do you want to uh, pursue the for high AOV uh, order, something like that? Um, I think one thing is that to have those kind of instant feedback to uh, utilize the new tools because Currently, we have some real, some real data, uh, real time data tools and analysis that you can have so you can, to follow the customer journey, uh, and in, in a real time scenario. Um, another thing is that, I mean, I think one, pra- one practice the client have is that we usually, um, pop up a, a survey window when the, when we found that customer trying to, uh, Quit or trying to, uh, or about to job. We will pop up if so. Windows, okay. Hi, why do you want the job? What else we can help? Or can you share your uh, source of feedback to us? Even though, I mean, we will analyze those feedbacks afterward, but it is still that's the, uh, the customer, uh, thoughts or the feelings or feedback at that moment. So still that kind of the real time, uh, data for us. Well, I'm thinking in the same terms a little bit. So um, there's always new tools being developed for this kind of stuff. So uh, two weeks ago, I saw a integrated A-B testing tool with uh, also a pop-up uh, survey. So it's kind of like you can you can kind of populate depending on which which version you have with different questions. So uh, that's kind of like interesting. I've never seen that before. So just to capture that kind of sentiment. But also uh, in my case, I use uh, the Lyft framework uh, when I'm looking at uh, uh, both landing pages, but also buy flows. Um, which a, a Lyft framework is just a, 
basically a framework where it kind of states the most important stuff to think about when analyzing these kind of st- uh, these kind of pages. Um, so if you kind of Google it, you will find and see how it looks. It's basically like an airplane and some things are pulling it down and some things are pulling it up. So usually it's about identifying the pain points. Uh, if you solve those, it's fine. But also uh, I like to kind of like frame the question a little bit differently because we kind of think that conversion should be 100%, but it will never be 100% when you enter a buy flow because of different reasons. So then the question becomes, how big should that conversion rate be when you enter a, a flow? Um, sometimes you kind of get disturbed in the middle of the purchase flow because a phone rings or a kid you know, screams or whatever it is. So you, you will never have like 100% uh, so the question is, how how do we frame that? And I think that's a difficult one because you you will always have gaps in the in the in the knowledge. So the best thing is to do the A/B testing and just try maybe fifty or hundred different things just to figure out what kind of works best. Thank you so much. It totally makes sense. Uh, I, I'm also curious. Uh, you said A/B testing. But uh, we can really do A/B tests like all the time. Uh, I think Xiaomi, one of uh, the Xiaomi indication. So I'm just curious, how do you do A/B tests more cost consciously? Do you have any experience for that? I'm just curious. Um, it's um, okay. So in our case, we kind of set up, so it's not very cost, uh, you know, heavy. So the whole setup is like that. So you need to kind of uh, set up the whole uh, technology or tools or, you know, processes to be able to do these quick uh, testing. But I know uh, also from experience that if you do server side testing, which means that you need to involve IT more and it's like about releases and all that kind of stuff that becomes really um, cost uh, heavy. (laughs) So it's, I mean, if you, today you need to be quick. If you're not quick, you're kind of like being bypassed by your competitors. So I don't have an easy answer for that. It's just that you need to set up the organization to be like that, to be very quickly, be able to make turns very quickly, even if your tech stack is very uh, complicated. Uh, So you need to solve that question. Now, what's quick? It depends on several factors. So, uh, I mean, some some companies might say like, doing an A-B test in three months is quick, but (laughs) not in my world. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit like that. I'm not sure what you guys think about that. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, but for me, uh, maybe uh, to be more cost e- efficient, uh, I usually was doing more uh, pilot tests with one market instead of scale up uh, 20, 30 different countries. At the same time, it will be very expensive. And also we don't know what's going to uh, happen. But if we have some comparable market with experience, uh, then yeah, it was uh, more. At least we we can try to you know 
uh, cost efficiently. <laughs> but uh, I think it was, uh, I found it was quite useful. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point uh, to um, test out the ideas in a small scale of customer and then if it's succeeded, you can copy the success to other uh, broader groups. Um, another point I want to, or maybe lower cost approach I want to see is that I think you really need to develop a, a very granular enough tools to monitor customer journey. If you, if you, if you for example, the conversion uh, rate or customer journey, we need to slice customer movement into pieces. And then, like I mentioned, when we understand, okay, then why, why customer job in our client purchase journey? We need to understand, okay, why, whether the customer job at the initial stage or the later stage, and what is in those stage? What is the initial stages? And what are the later stages? And at what data point are they dropped? And what can be reflect on that job point? So sometimes you can, you can understand this by uh, really nail down your uh, monitoring tools. Awesome, thank you. And Shaming, that what you just said there gives me leads me into a question that I have after listening to what all of you guys have been talking about. So all of you guys, by the sounds of things, are all looking to achieve the same thing, understand the customer, understand the best way to get conversion for your business, and whatever conversion means is probably different. The question that I have for you guys is when we look at when we look at we've recognized uh, a customer insight. Um whatever that insight may be, is it more important to know what that insight is or why that insight has happened or why that trend has happened? Um, maybe I can go first. Uh, for me, you can really choose. I think it's all important. So when I share insight, I usually have a four key element. So I explain why. Why is it relevant to our coworker? Then the second one is also I explain how either fix a uh, business problem. Then, then I explain what's happening, what's going to happen. Then the, the last I, uh, open up the question. So, so what we have to do at the next step. So you can, I mean, from my experience, I don't think I can wait. Uh, why is it like 20% more, more important than the what? But uh, personally, I think it's all important. But what do you guys think? Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yes, I think. That's the two sides of the coin. Because as a dentist, first you will uh, come to conclusion or draw your insight from data. And that is what? Why it goes up, why it goes down, when it's higher, when it's lower, one customer job, why customer are converting. I think that it, it comes to another stage is that, okay, what action do you want to take based on your findings or insights? Then that's lead us to understand the root causes or why we see the data look like this. So then we really need to understand that the root drivers and root causes behind those scenarios or findings. Then we can take proper actions to impact customer behavior. And then we just iterate, no matter use A-B tests or whatever means to test out our ideas or hypotheses and iterate based on the you know, continuous feedbacks and data we collected. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Uh, I also would like to add something um, that both in my experience that I've had in my own experience, but also like looking into the future a little bit is like the first thing is like 
when I work very closely with data scientists and we'll do a lot of crunching and especially around segmentation and like deep, you find stuff that you, you know, you're a little bit surprised about. So it's, it could be like very small insights, but it also could be like very big impact insight. So like using the whole power of statistical tools to kind of like deep dive into your data gives you a, a very good uh, feedback and like, uh, you know, to those small or big, uh, you know, strategical questions. Um, the other thing is like when I'm playing a little bit around with AI and chat GDP and how good it is to kind of take so much data and combine it and just kind of give you some conclusions around that, uh, which is, I think, it's going to be maybe a game changer going forward for, for us, um, for every organization. So I think the knowledge around small stuff will be easily more pop up uh, than just like looking at dashboards or even doing ad hoc analysis. So it's going to be more proactive, I think. It's going to be more easily accessible. It's going to be more, you know, empowering the organization around various type of questions. So it's, it's really going to be interesting to see how this develops uh, further into the future and how we will kind of uh, capitalize that in all organizations. Awesome. Thank you. And one more follow-up um, around forward future thinking. Through this conversation, there's been a lot of discussion about um, using data to validate where we are up to. It got me thinking... If you if you want to make a bet as a team or a business, um, a hypothesis, a bet, do we? How do we prioritize whether we make the bet first and then use the data to explore that, or whether we look into the data first and then make the bet? How is that decision made? Well, I think uh, this is a very good question, and this uh, actually a little bit echoed to my question at the beginning. That's how you're going to. Uh, assess our level of confidence when we make a decision based on those incomplete information. Should we really want to make a bet firstly or should we want to look at data firstly? Um, for me, I mean, it's really, I think one thing is to consider is the, the beta impact, how big the bet is, how much risk are they going to take uh, for this bet? If it's uh, some small risk or is it just some improvement of your product? Maybe you can still try it out in a small group of customers. And if it doesn't work, you can always roll it back. But if it's a very big back, for example, enter a new market or like you said, HP, if you want to invest a kind of TV service, the heavily, that's something that I think we really need data to support our further decision rather than just use the gut feeling. Yeah, I kind of, I agree. I agree on that. Uh, and also it depends on how big the bet is and I think like how how big the cost is rather than the bet uh, so um, uh, do you want to take full development costs for something or not so it, it kind of depends I think if you have the data you always look at the data so I would that that would be my my take on it um, if you don't have the data you need to make a bet and then it's like how risk aversive is the company? How how costly will it be to fail? Can we fail or not? So there's a couple of 
of uh, questions around that that you kind of need to follow up with uh, to get a better understanding if you dare to make a bet. Uh, for me, working with A-B testing, it's, it's you know, you make bets all the time and it's it's set up not to be so cost, cost, cost uh, costly. So it's more like cost effective now. So then it's like, I will always say, like, just do an A-B test <laughs> and try it out. But sometimes you want to launch a new product and then it takes a lot of money to develop or launch it. So how do you do that? How do you do it in the most cost-effective way when you also maybe don't have the data, you have limited data or so on? That's interesting to hear because from my experience, I was uh, doing lots of actually marketing budgeting. So (laughs) I have limited the budget or now I'm working at IKEA. We are also very... uh, cost-conscious. So, uh, of course, looking at the data set, it uh, either gives you some interesting results, but uh, before that, we must know what we what we are trying to do it, what we are aiming to do. So, basically, whatever the data we have, how these things will eventually impact to um, customer experience or something else. So if we don't know what we want to, uh, you know, solve the some business problem, it may not be super useful. So it will be I won't I don't want to say it can be wasting money, but uh, uh, it may not be super efficient. So from my experience, I actually try to uh, have more clear objective before I will, I will start it. So I'm a bit different. Uh, Bill, but it's really interesting to hear your experience. Certainly is. Thank you very much. So it sounds like it's a case of we have to understand the bet first, and then maybe make the bet smaller if it's going to be a, if it's going to have a big impact. Yeah, it really exactly. answers my question. <laughs> yeah, um, that's awesome, guys. Uh, thank you so much for your time today and for your inputs and for sharing your experiences. Um, just for you that are listening, we've had Xiaoming, Yesiel and Theodore with us today. Um, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. You three have been excellent. Thank you so much for your time today and have an awesome day, everyone listening. Thank you so much to today's guests and thank you for listening. If you're hiring for a new technical role or if you're looking for a new role yourself, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop us a message too. I am Josh Asquith, that's A-S-Q-U-I-T-H, and you can find me on LinkedIn, or you can email me at joshua.asquith at evolution-nordics.com.